Welcome to the, the Get Together. Special guest. <laughs> uh, this is our show about the nuts and bolts of community building, and I am your host, Bailey Richardson. I call myself a community researcher over at People and Company. Oh, is it me? Yeah. I'm, I'm Kevin. I'm Kevin Quinn. Uh, I'm one of the other partners at People and Company. I help Bailey research communities. I also really like the operations y stuff. I also like Spam Misubi. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I also like the Denver Nuggets and the Denver Broncos. Oh. I mean, as far as my basketball team, like okay. that would be it. I don't follow, though. All right. Unfortunately. Maybe I should lead with I Broncos. Think, yeah, Go Broncos. I, I don't think you really roll. follow those that much. Ron Miller. Okay. Subscribe to his vlog. Okay. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> and we have a big special guest. You want to say hi? Hello, everyone. It's Kai. What a sexy voice. Wow. Partner at People and Company. The most and, uh, radio voice we have. Not so jet lagged visitor in the Lower East Side. Hell yeah. Welcome, Kai. Welcome. We're all in a tiny booth. Yeah. Right we're now. sitting very Small close. booth, mm-hmm. the size of my first Which New York bedroom. Which is pretty bedroom. special because we usually talk halfway around the world or talk to you halfway around the world from. Uh, your pretty video faces. That's yeah. true. At midnight your time. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, in this podcast, in each episode, we interview people who have built communities about just how they did it. So we'll ask questions like, how did you get the first people to show up? How did you grow 2000s more members? And today we're talking to a super, super rad woman named Margaret Aldrich. And she's in Minneapolis and works at a thing called Little Free Libraries. Yes, that little free library that you've probably seen on your block or trip to the Midwest or down Rivingston Street in the Lower East Side. That's the organization that Margaret works with. There are 75,000 registered little free libraries. That's just registered, 75,000 in 88 countries worldwide. We're talking about Sudan, Qatar, which I mispronounce all the time. Yeah, Qatar. Um, And tens of millions of books, they estimate are exchanged each year through these little libraries thanks to people who they call stewards who are the ones that raise their hand and ask to put one of these libraries up in their communities. What a perfect name, stewards. I know. Some, I don't know if a ton of thought went into it, but whoever made that decision, A plus decision. Yeah, well, there great, were Great community demonym. And definitely a ton of thought should go into it. Not yeah. a lot of people do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. I wanted to ask her about that, but we didn't. So sorry. Yeah. Um, so today's episode is very special to us because number one, little libraries are rad. And number two, <laughs> as we said, Kai is here. Hi, Kai. So good to be here. So good to be here. So Thank good. you very much. Yeah, this guy <laughs> lives in Singapore. He's our international growth master, and he got to sit in on us with this interview, which is special for us. So Kai, what stood out to you um, in this interview with Margaret? Yeah, Kai. 88 <laughs> countries. Uh, I've worked on multiple, you know, products that tech products that have tried to go global, uh, some successfully, like, you know, Bailey, you and I were at Instagram and I was at Facebook uh, and some not so successfully. And just an organization, you know, that started in, you know, the Midwest. They're in 88 countries, Sudan, Korea, you know, it's, it's crazy. And that really blew my mind. And we did, you know, we did ask her uh, how they did it. And I found that answer pretty fascinating. Mm. Yeah, we always say the first community action should be three things or a community action should be three things. Purposeful. It has a reason why you're doing it. And here I think books, reading is is their purpose. 
participatory. People get to shape it. It's not just sitting back and listening. They get to add value. And then repeatable. You can do it over and over and over again. The template's kind of simple. It's not super complicated. And I think that when you do something like that, it has the potential without a ton of complexity or organizational yeah. requirements yeah. to go to 88 countries yeah. and 75,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. But those ideas aren't super easy, yeah. you know, and this yeah. is definitely something that guy's idea, Todd. Todd's idea to just take Todd a piece boy. of a door and yeah. put a library together. It's actually, you know, it's a beautiful insight. Yeah. The, um, I think she's, Margaret says on the interview, it's one of those concepts that you just get. And I am f- I love these simple concepts. Mm-hmm. Like if there are folks that love working on, was it like edge tech, whatever, like they're working on like technology at the bleeding edge of earth. I'm on the opposite end. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do magnificent things yeah. with like the stuff you find in a cupboard yeah. or like, you know, is people in one room that speak it, you know, with a slightly different format and it just spreads everywhere. And yeah. to me, that stuff is so special and shows that you don't, obviously there's a time, there's a place for, you know, uh, technology and where you can really push things. But I think we can do so much. We're just kind of reorienting, you know, the things that we have or the interactions that we usually have. And one of those ideas could be setting out a tiny home in front of your home that has books in it that people can take or contribute. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's dig into it. Margaret, Yay! what's the word? Tell us. So the origin story of Little Free Library is pretty amazing, I think. It was began by this guy named Todd Bowl in Hudson, Wisconsin. Todd's mother had passed away and he was searching for a way to honor her memory. And so Todd, um, he built this little wooden one-room schoolhouse box to honor her history as an educator. And he filled it with books he put it on a post in his front yard, and that was the very first Little Free Library. Do you know where the idea so, came from? It's a really interesting thing to do. Todd said like he had this old wooden garage door in his workshop that he was trying to think of something to do with, and um, he'd been thinking about his, his mom, and because she loved reading and she you know, used to tutor kids at their kitchen table, he associated her with books. Mm. So, you know, it certainly wasn't the first time that people have shared books in different ways. You know, we've seen, you know, for decades at coffee houses, you might have a little book trade spot. But this is the first time that it had been placed in a front yard on a post and with neighbors invited to stop by and uh, trade books and share conversation. And when Todd saw how his community reacted to this little free library, you know, he would always say they would come up to it and talk about it like it was a little puppy, like, oh, how cute. We love this. <laughs> and they would, you know, and they would linger and they would talk and have conversation and come back and bring their own books to share. You know, he just saw how it became this little hub of neighborliness. Um, and he really wanted to share that with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize this until I started looking into you guys. I've definitely bumped into them out in the world. There's mm-hmm. one on Rivington Street. We're in the Lower East Side, and I actually walk by one two, three blocks from here that's really interesting looking. Like they're not all kind of the exact same. But mm-hmm. I didn't realize that you guys have 75,000 registered libraries in 88. Yeah. Now. Wow. So can yeah, you tell that's us right. a little bit about how – at what point mm-hmm. did more of them start to pop up? How did that happen? 
Well, it happened in a couple different ways. You know, first, it was really word of mouth. And it was Todd giving away little free libraries. So he kind of partnered with a guy called um, Rick Brooks, and they would give away little free libraries in Madison, Wisconsin, and also in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So how did that so work? Kind did of to find his email or something? And just, or, yeah, how did they get in touch with him? How did he figure out who wanted them? You know, at first, they would contact people saying, hey, we're, we're testing out this new idea. We think you would really love it. Um, and they would place them that way. But then once people started to see them, they would get in touch with Todd and say, oh, I would love one of those for my neighborhood. So at first, it was kind of this planting seeds and then seeing what grew. Mm. And really what accelerated it was media. There were a few radio interviews that Todd and Rick did, and that certainly got people interested. People would travel to Minneapolis, see them, and then when they would go home, they would say, oh, I saw this great idea that's Little Free Library. Mm. And then they would start one back where um, they came from. And then once social media came into it, that opened up a whole new world. Mm. Little Free Libraries, they're so visually interesting. There really aren't... Um, there I saw aren't an R2-D2 to what a little one. free library can look like. Yes, there's an R2-D2 one. Yeah, there are little free libraries. tell me about some of the really strange ones and where they are? Because I didn't realize that. And you do a Google image search of little free library and you're in for a treat. There are some really <laughs> things out there. Yeah, like what are some of the ones that you've seen that you think are really special? I love kind of maybe a cousin of the R2-D2 one. There's a red robot that I really love. There's a life-size replica of Doctor Who's TARDIS. Um, so it looks like a you know wow. police box. Mm. Um, there are little free libraries that look like you know roosters, cats, rocket ships, um, Victorian mansions, yes. log cabins, yes, castles, yes. Um, submarines. There's a yellow submarine that I really love. You know there really aren't any limits to what a little free library can look like. Yeah, and that's really been part of how the movement accelerated was through people sharing photos on social media. Uh, if you go to our Instagram, it's just amazing to see the creativity that goes into these little boxes of books. One of the things too that I think is kind of crucial that seems maybe simple, but not necessarily obvious is that they're marketing material type pieces of paper and information that you give anyone who becomes a steward. And one of them is a little piece of paper that explains what a little free library is and how to use them that people are supposed to kind of attach to the library, right? And that gives them the name of the organization and how to learn more and all that. Could you tell me about that piece of paper or anything that you guys now kind of offer to people to help them get the word out? Sure. Yeah. So when people register, you know, if you build your own little free library, which probably 70% of people do, um, and you register that with a littlefreelibrary.org, then you get a charter sign with a unique number that you can put on your little free library. You get a steward's guide, which kind of gives ideas and advice and best practices for how to get your community involved. And you get this little informational piece that you can put inside your little free library so it shares how it works. Um, because sometimes, at least in the Midwest, where we are keep to ourselves a little bit, 
people will come up to a little free library and think, is it really okay? Can I actually take a book home with me from here? Mm -hmm. So as people were getting to know what a little free library was, we wanted them to first know, yes, you can take a book home. You can keep it forever. Um, you can share a book. You can bring back the same book. But we really try to keep as few rules around it as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, we want it to really work with your neighborhood, how it's going to best serve the people in your community. One of the things we talked about before getting on the phone with Kai, who's also here, and I'm going to call him out in a second. He opened the first Facebook office in Canada and then led international growth mm -hmm. for Facebook in Asia. So he used mm -hmm. to end up being, you know, the guy who was a foreigner coming into this office in Silicon Valley and talking to people about, no, seriously, people in Asia use, you know, people in Singapore use this product this way and there's an issue or bringing all these mm -hmm. other cultural trends and tendencies to a very American company. And mm -hmm. hearing you talk about how people in the Midwest need a little bit more instruction, I've heard that a lot of software companies talk about that with the Japanese, for example, they really like clear mm -hmm. instructions and understanding. And one of the things, you know, Kai wanted to ask you about is what did you guys have to do to get from, you know, just in Wisconsin, just in the United States to 88 countries around the world. Have you done anything to localize any of your resources or yeah, tell, tell us about that. Well, you know, our headquarters is still in Hudson, Wisconsin, where that very first little free library was built. And there are 12 of us there in the office. And we're always amazed and delighted that we get to work with people, you know, all across the country and all around the world. And I think that one of the ways that we've been successful doing that is that we really do want people to take the Little Free Library concept and to make it their own and to make it work within their community. So you might see in Cleveland where there are areas of the city where there's a lack of access to books and there are kids who don't have any books at home. Uh, we see Little Free Libraries really being used as points of book access. Mm -hmm. And we have a couple champions there who really have accelerated their own city little free library movement. And so for them, it's about getting books into the hands of kids. You might see in San Francisco, there might be more of an artist community who is using a little free library as almost a piece of street art. And maybe painting it, maybe making it more of a like sculptural piece. So in that community, it might be more about the visual delight of seeing a little free library um, on the sidewalk. Mm. So we love to see how different communities take a little free library and really um, have it reflect their neighborhood mm. and um, reflect what that neighborhood needs. Hey, Margaret, it's Kai. So whenever hey. I see any organization, you know, roll out to 88 countries, it's just incredibly impressive. I've, you know, seen and worked on technology apps that can't even spread further than their, uh, their uh, birth countries. So mm -hmm. the thing I'm curious about is, uh, always curious about is, um, what are elements of Little Free Library that have been made quite unique in terms of their needs and Therefore, the folks in these respective countries have tailored them. What have you heard where they've really, not distorted, but kind of really uh, localized uh, 
little free library. And then a uh, follow-up question is, you know, what remains true and universal, which I think is far more uh, important when you're bringing something global? It's the universal elements that have really helped the Little Free Library movement spread to 88 countries. And those universal elements are this need and desire to connect with other people. I think that's really key. And wanting to share this love of reading. So, for example, in South Korea, I was talking with the the guy who started the very first Little Free Library in South Korea. And I was like, how did you, you know, how did you hear about this concept of, of a little free library. And for him, it was, he was on the internet. <laughs> he was kind of bored. And he, for some reason, Googled the word library and Amazing. got to the little free library page. Yeah. Wow, you guys he have good SEO. <laughs> I don't know how long he was scrolling through, but, um, you know, he had never heard of this concept. But when he saw really, photos of people in their little free libraries he just thought this was such a cool idea and he personally loved books Um, so he really put himself out there because it was a brand new concept when he put out his little free library it was quite unsuccessful for the first couple of weeks Mm. and he really had to is it just people well People using it. Yeah, Yeah. people using it. So books being traded, um, books coming and going. So he really had to educate the people in his neighborhood with, you know, signage and um, of how it works. But eventually, everybody got the hang of it and fell in love with it. And he started two more little free libraries. So I think people everywhere want to get to know their neighbors and feel like they live in a community that cares. And this is, you know, one way to do that. One of the things that I think a lot of people who have worked with a really passionate community see is that a small group of fanatics tend to do a big percentage of the work. And (laughs) I, I wonder hearing you say that this man, you know, brought the first one to Korea and he's opened a couple more. Do you have sort of superstar stewards, like people that have started you know a bunch of libraries or are big organizers in their countries is that common or are people pretty consistent in their sort of contribution to the community and to little free library every steward is really special to us and i know it does take a bit of bravery to put up a little free library you know when i put up mine before i was with the organization um and i was researching my book um uh, it, yeah, it was just, almost I want to like, ask you about this later, but you wrote a book about the Little Free Library movement, which you can buy yeah, on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, Before you yeah, worked with Little yeah, Free Library? Right. I mean, I was oh, a journalist wow. and wrote this book and was just in love with the Little Free Library movement. So, um, But I know when I put up my Little Free Library, it was almost like you feel like you're throwing a party and you're wondering if anybody's going to come. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mm. <laughs> so we throw a party that no one comes to. I mean, yeah, it happens. It happens. <laughs> you know what you I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but literally within five minutes of putting up the little free library, I was meeting neighbors I had never spoken with before. It really was true that that happens. Mm. So we certainly think that every little free library steward is awesome. And we do also have these super stewards who activate many movements within their own communities. 
So, for example, um, well, in Cleveland, it's a woman named Margaret Bernstein who hi Margaret, um, activated you rock. Yes, hi <laughs> Margaret, you do rock. <laughs> I think there are around 400 little free libraries in Cleveland now, largely due to her enthusiasm. Wow. Um, in Lake Worth, Florida, which is not a big community, they have more than 100 little free libraries. And each one is painted by a local artist. And it's, oh, they're really awesome. beautiful. Mm. Um, and then in Sudan, um, a woman wow. named Malaz, she is um, trying to build momentum behind a little free library movement there. So she has established, you know, more than a dozen little free libraries. Mm. But she's hoping to bring even more little free libraries there. And she's working with local government to do that. So we do love to see the enthusiasm of one person and what that one person can make happen. Yeah. And then there's a woman named Margaret who lives in Minneapolis who wrote a whole book about <laughs> Little Free Library. Reach out. We need her. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really nice segue. Yeah. Do, do stewards... Um... Are they connecting across geographies to share ideas for how best to launch a little free library or to share creative things that they're doing? Like, is that cross uh, locale communication happening? Because I've seen in some communities that it's just more of a local thing. You might be have a global reach, but it's less of a, the dots really do connect on the local level because that's where you know the most meaning happens. Uh, what do you see at Little Free Library? Yeah, we definitely encourage communication between stewards. And so Little Free Library, you know, we have our public uh, social media pages, but we also have a private uh, Facebook group that's just for registered stewards. And so that's where our stewards get together and they share photos of what they're doing at their Little Free Library. They're sharing ideas. They're sharing problems and challenges they're having. You know, right now we're seeing a lot of people decorating their little free libraries for the holidays. So oh, yes. lighting up their little free libraries. Yes. Um, but they are full of such great ideas. You know, often all of us at the Little Free Library organization are learning from them, mm. asking them questions. What would you like to see? Uh, what would you like for us to be doing? You know, and so they've been a great resource to us in building the movement because they're our experts. So can I dig into some of these resources that you provide? Like, to me, this is one of my favorite topics when it comes to community. Like, what is the support that an organizer or a headquarter provides to help, you know, help the stewards do their thing? And then over time, like, how does that evolve? Like, what do you learn from stewards that then you try to like reflect back out? So what are some of the most, I guess, important types of resources or support that you provide stewards uh, that seems to really help them uh, get off the ground and uh, have a successful little library? Well, the first point of contact when they get their little free library is the steward's guide. And so with that, we give them ideas for having a grand opening for your little free library, <clears throat> how to get the community involved, how to get books if you need them, you know, different ways to get free or reduced cost books. So there is a lot of good information in that. And that really kicks off their relationship with us. And we feel like they're part of our family and we want them to feel that way too. We have an awesome customer service person named Kimberly at our office and she is talking with stewards all day long. Mm. And that's really, really wonderful. She is amazing. 
Um, so those are some of the touch points that we, you know, start off with. What are some of the things um, you discussed? Like what, what's, what's really, uh, I guess, what are the biggest problems or challenges that an, a new steward faces? It can be really basic things at the beginning, like how high should my little free library be? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, how do I get people to use my little free library? What kinds of books do you think I should include in my little free library? So a lot of times it's those basic I'm just starting to dip my toe into this pond and I want to make sure that I'm doing things right. Um, some of those kinds of questions. But as I mentioned before, we really don't want to put a lot of rules on people, but we do want to just be there for them as they're you know, starting this new adventure. So there are kind of basic questions like that. People ask us initially, will all the books get stolen? when I put them out there, you yeah. know, and that's a philosophical question of, well, can something free be stolen? <laughs> um, is it stolen but, or is it, there's just a voracious reader who really loves free well, <laughs> But I, you know, we have heard of cases where people's, their whole stash of books will be cleared out in one fell swoop. So, you know, we get that question. Mm. Uh, we get questions about, Will my little free library be vandalized and what do I do? You'd be surprised that it's a, a small percentage of reports that we hear of vandalism. But we do you know, give advice about that. Often if your little free library is in a well-lit spot and well-maintained and you let your neighbors know that this is their resource too, um, those are things that we share with stewards so they keep their little free library safe. So we do hear a lot of those initial questions of, you know, what do I do if, and what if this happens, and that kind of thing. Um, so we try to be there for our stewards in every way we can. And another resource that we offer for folks who feel like they can't afford to get a little free library started is we have a program called the Impact Library Program. And that's something that people can fill out an application, and we uh, give away little free libraries at no cost. So that's a resource that we offer for people so that everybody who wants a little free library, we want them to be able to, to get one. It's Kai, and I'm curious about whenever you, we talk about communities and how it's growing, we tend to talk about all these new folks that join in. Uh, but I'm curious about those who've stayed, right? The, uh, how long, you know, what's the longest um, or oldest uh, library that you're aware of? How often do new stewards come in and you may not hear from them again? That's a good question. You know, well, the first library was built in 2009 and they started planting other little free libraries in 2010. So, you know, we'll see little free libraries in Madison, Wisconsin, or Minneapolis that have been around since 2010 and that are still being used. They might need another coat of paint <laughs> by now, but they're still active. As far as, you know, the stewards that we're continuing to hear from, I think that for some people it does become a self-sustaining system and they don't need to circle back to us with questions. They often will stay active within that private Facebook group for stewards because it's fun and because there are always new ideas um, and new ways that you might want to use your little free library. For example, people now will sometimes turn their little free library into a little free pantry, either around a certain time period oh. or... When it's uh, time to go back to school, they might add school supplies 
in their little free library for kids to take. Around the holidays, they might provide some canned goods in their little free library for people to take home. So it's interesting to see how, you know, ideas are always evolving around what a little free library can be. That's a really cool way to think about the health of any community, right? It's uh, two ways. Mm -hmm. One is how many continue to be active and they don't churn off, so they're pretty retained and continue to passively contribute. And the other one is how organic the idea, you know, kind of evolves, right? Yeah, I think that level of experimentation is so cool. Yeah. Like, I think when you get a couple universal things right, simple concept and a good measure of how vibrant is a community is, are people really playing with it? You know, are they trying new things? (laughs) Remix! Yeah, are there so many different flavors? (laughs) I love to think of it that way. That's That's a great image of the big sandbox that people are playing in because, you know, we do see, you know, as I mentioned, this, huge creative pool of people you know one woman has her little free library with the books but kind of attached to it she has a little free gallery where she features a local artist's work um, that and that rotates so yeah we just love to see all these new ideas and new ways that people are engaging with their communities it's fun that people take the name too and reapply it you know it's like a very easy phrase to apply to anything. (laughs) One question I have for you guys, we didn't really close the gap on how did Little Free Library become an official organization? You know, it was just an idea from Todd in Wisconsin. And what motivated you guys to become an official nonprofit? Why? Uh, And at what point did that happen? Yeah, that happened in 2012. And that really was, you know, part of Todd's vision to just share this idea, this very simple idea, uh, farther and farther. So that was 2012 that we became an official nonprofit. And uh, we've been really lucky to, you know, get some nice recognition over the years from the National Book Foundation and Library of Congress and public librarians who we worship. (laughs) Um, So we're just uh, always amazed to see, you know, the number of people getting involved and just that people really seem to care about this movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that word amazed felt like what I felt like working at Instagram in the early days. I I was just amazed to see what people were doing with this simple kind of model. (laughs) You know, it didn't, it didn't Mm -hmm. come to life until people used it. And that I think was how the team really felt was just this like amazement watching it happen all around the world. I I, I wanted to ask maybe a little bit of an MBA type question, but yeah, how was becoming an official nonprofit was any of it to do with uh, how to figure out how to keep funding these libraries or how, do you guys have a good simple financial model? Like how do you guys approach kind of sustaining the organization and sustaining the libraries? Well, we're always, you know, trying to improve that piece of it, to be honest. Part of what we do is we have an online store where people can buy a little free library that's already registered, it's already built, um, or they can buy a kit to build their own little free library. So that's I just bought one for my mom point. for Christmas. Mom, if you're oh, listening, oh, I love sorry. to hear that. Spoiler alert! <laughs> I love okay. to hear that. <laughs> She's gonna love it. <laughs> but you know, that's pretty unique for a nonprofit that we have that retail side. So that is really, especially in the earliest days, sustained the organization. Mm. Now, as we're getting bigger and we want to do bigger things and work with people and communities in a larger way. 
we're trying to get more funding and real funding yeah. and real funding. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's a challenge for us. And it's something that uh, we hope to really build in the coming years. Yeah. How do you balance the demands of the funders, right? And for a lot of nonprofits that we've encountered at some point, a good chunk of the staff end up focusing so much on filling out forms and upkeeping those documents and the reporting. How do you internally, how do you balance, you know, your focus between the things that you uh, need to do versus the things that you must do for your stewards? Well, you know, with the staff of 12, that's a big challenge too. As we grow, there's more that we need to do and there's more that we want to do as well. It's really key for us that we stay connected to our stewards because they are such a big part of this and they're so important to us. And, you know, like you were saying with Instagram, they're really what made this movement happen and thrive. So, you know, we do have to balance the the kind of nuts and bolts work that any nonprofit has to do with this kind of relational work that we all love in connecting with people around the world who are really doing this in their communities and and making it all happen. Margaret, I want to ask you one final question, and it's going to be a personal one. You got your own library, and then you wrote a whole book about Little Free Library and the movement, and now you work there. Why? You know, what what about Little Free Libraries drew you in? What, What about it makes you so passionate? Well, first... And foremost, I love books, you know, and my background is in book publishing and journalism. And when I saw my first little free library, I just fell in love. It's one of those things where you get it right away Mm. that here's this little box of books. I can take one. I can give one. And it's just something that you can immediately connect with. As an introvert, I didn't know if I would be a good little free library steward And then I discovered that it works for anybody. You can, it's a great icebreaker. It's an easy way to connect with the people in your community. And you can be as outgoing or as kind of insular as you want, but it's still a really wonderful thing. So, you know, working on the book, I just enjoyed talking with people uh, across the country and around the world who are using little free libraries where they live and finding out the unique ways they use it, but also the universal appeal uh, from person to person and country to country. Mm. So that was a real treat to get to speak with so many different Little Free Library stewards. And then getting to know Todd and everybody at the Little Free Library organization, I was just head over heels even more Mm. because this is a group of people who really, who was really trying to make a positive difference. So I'm just, I'm happy to be a part of that. Yeah. Can you tell me about one person you met while doing the book that really affected you on a, on a personal level, you know, who, who they were and what you feel like you learned from them or a story they told you that stuck out? Well, so many of them. I will say there was a five-year-old boy and his dad in Qatar who they had just moved there and this little five-year-old boy, he was looking for a way to really make friends. And so it was very simple. I know it was this very simple and very universal thing where you want to make some friends and you want to get to know um, people in your new school and your new town. 
And I loved that that was happening on the other side of the, of the world from where I was living. Mm-hmm. And so he and his dad built a little free library and registered it with us and put it on the world map, which is on our website, and um, put it in their neighborhood. And they started to get to know people right away. And the dad would say that uh, his son would, every day after school, that was the first thing he did was to go and check the little free library. Oh my gosh, that's so sweet. I I just, so I loved that that kind of universal story was happening between a dad and a son on the other side of the world. And so that that had a big effect on me. What a well-grounded kid, man. Definitely if he's going to choose between downloading the Instagram app and putting up a little free library. (laughs) I'm I'm very impressed with your choice. (laughs) Good for him. Awesome. Margaret, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Yeah. It's so exciting. I'm now thinking about my kids and getting, encouraging them to, to start this in our condo yeah. in Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Margaret. You can do it. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Margaret, you're a queen. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you. She used the word universal. So mm-hmm. my experience with international and international growth is, uh, so during w- when we were at Facebook and there'll be folks flying in from all over the world, you know, um, these are international growth folks. And I noticed that um, their first few visits, they always bring in insights that are uniquely cultural, right? Like uniquely local to them. And their presentation always starts with, in X country, we do Y differently. And this is why the engineers or the folks in headquarters should build something unique for my market. And that's like the death trap of not growing internationally. The Mm. question should be, what makes my country my people, my needs, uh, universal. What are the universal needs? Uh, that allows an organization like Margaret to build something that is universal and that can easily scale. Yeah. But if you start building locally immediately, then that's really difficult to scale. You're in essence, like imagine a simple thing like a handbook, right? Imagine now localizing it for a particular country. Now you have versions of handbooks that you have to update for in in the tech world, you've got code that are splintering that you have to remember, oh, I did that specific thing for Japan and I have to maintain it. And so I, I just, I. I love that word that she used, which is universal. She didn't even go to the differences. She went immediately to what makes free library a universal thing. Yeah. yeah. It's related to repeatable with what you said. It's not, mm-hmm. I think there's one element that's like, this is repeatable time-wise. Like, you can do this again. But is it easily repeatable, like, in many places? Yeah. And it doesn't depend so, you know, heavily on, like, exactly what I can do at this point in time where I am. Yeah, absolutely. For everybody listening like I said, spoiler alert, bought my mom one. We're all scheming about how we can get one in Singapore, yeah. Kevin's place in Sunset Park, yeah. my house in, a in Brooklyn. Sunset Park. Wait, okay, before we get into this, my question to the team oh, is, you know, if hmm. if and when you create a dream free little library, what does yours hmm. look like? Kai? Hmm. Well, I'm... So we are condo dwellers, oh. both in Singapore and Toronto. We like a condo. Yeah, so if, if I'm torn between juxtaposing a super rustic because you're in this like modern kind of 
modern condo to something kind of leaning in on the you know modern thing yeah like a danish vibe maybe was it like more milan i'm gonna go with the rustic vibe okay yeah i think like the log cabin door thing you know someone has to open since everything's so open in condos right it's like i dig that yeah yeah okay kev Ocean theme, sorry, I, I didn't add it. I, yeah. I like the ocean theme. I also, mine, yeah. mine, I want it to be like a surfer in a barrel. And yes. you have to like somehow like open the surfer's mouth or something. <laughs> like I'm talking big, I don't know, or something else that actually has a door. But yeah. I just think the ocean or like a giant mola mola, which a is mola, my favorite mola, fish. The, 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 the mouth, the, you reach the in, thing, yeah. the mouth, this fish, you have to Google it. It's so strange, but the mouth Shout is always open. Shout out to Mola Mola Fan yeah. Club. Mola Mola Fan Club, my, my real like passion. Is it at Mola Mola Fan Club? I think so. It is. What is your Instagram? Yes, it is. It is. Yes. But anyway, this poor fish can't close its mouth. So probably be like reaching the mouth of the mola mola. Yeah. I I think I want mine to look like like a favorite establishment from my youth, like a small Hmm. Chuck E. Cheese's. Oh, yes. You open that up and then like there are books (laughs) there. But it's like... It reminds you of that time. Chuck E. Cheese, that's, and, that's a genius yeah. idea. And does it play 90s R&B? <laughs> it plays 90s R&B. I don't see and then nothing there's wrong. One, four, three. Next, next to it. And just all ja my, Rule all stands there and opens it for you. Right, we're getting, <laughs> okay. we're getting wild. Okay. Wrap it up. Back, Sorry. Back to, back to how to get your free little okay. library. Yeah, if you if you <laughs> stuck with us through that rambling, you can get your own little free library at littlefreelibrary.org. No spaces, no underscores, littlefreelibrary.org. You can also tune into their Instagram, which is dope, to see all the cool libraries people have built, and their handle is at Little Free Library. No spaces, no underscores, just at Little Free Library. Wonderful. Today you heard the team, the people and company team in full force. If you want to learn more about us, read some of our research, research. look into our bios, uh, you can go to our URL, peopleand.company. We have another people-and.com that I've been saying, but we can now go to peopleand.company. It's not a .com, it's a .company. Yeah. And if you if you want to just reach out to us, just send us an email, hi at peopleand.company. Yeah, great. Brad, see you at the next one. See ya. Bye. Bye.